0: Hello and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about a couple of the outdoor trips we just got to uh, wrap up for the Memorial Day weekend. We really put a lot of effort into it. Where did we go, Marina? We went to Saheli Falls first to start off. Yeah, we did go to Sahaley Falls, which is a really cool spot. I love that area and there's so many cool waterfalls throughout Oregon and especially this time of year while the creeks are still running pretty strongly after uh, a lot of the snow is melting out of the hill uh, later in the year they start to get quite a bit weaker especially in years where there was a, let's say like a drought or you know low snowpack um, or where the watershed is lower than it would no- normally be like uh, I, I guess I remember sometimes in um, years past when we went in late July August it was really nothing but a trickle coming down some of those waterfalls so it was beautiful getting to some of those places in the upper Cascade foothills I guess um, in late May While, uh, while there's still like a ton of water coming through. But uh, yeah, we went to Saheli Falls first, which was a really interesting spot. Um, and we did like a hike through there too, right? What was that other one called? I don't remember. We saw two. Kusa. Kusa Falls. Kusa Falls. Interesting spot. Yeah. So that was a really pretty area. And, uh, I dug checking that out. We were trying to do this special project with, um. 360 video there. So, I guess if you listen to this and you want to check it out, there's going to be maybe soon, as soon as we can get this stuff rendered and put out, but I bet I'll put up a link sooner or later on billynewmanphoto.com to uh, some of the interesting 360 degree footage that we've been recording, uh, which is uh, all part of a special media project that we've been trying to put together for some of the, I guess, emerging technology trends of 2018. I don't know. 360 video has been around for a while, but it's interesting to us now. So, that's why I mentioned it, I suppose. It was really cool, though, getting out to uh, a couple of cool hikes this weekend. I had a great time doing it. And um, what was the other one up there that we did? Proxy Falls? Yeah, Proxy Falls. Also very beautiful and very full of water. And your first it's time, extremely right? It's impressive looking. Yeah. What would you think of first it? Time there. It's a beautiful spot. It is really cool because there's the huge waterfall that is pouring down. And then that flows into a creek that washes around all of these trees and... Big rocks. Yeah, the and root where you walk just, the the roots are just kind of dug into the ground, but the water just seems to kind of flow all over around it. There, it's really it's not just a, a routed channel of the creek, but yeah, it just seems to kind of flow out and around just through that section there. Is, uh, I don't know what's it. It's called something. There's a term for that splash zone of the waterfall. That blown out area at the bottom of a oh, waterfall. I can't remember. I don't know what it's called either. But that whole area, yeah, is all trees and all these root systems that are there outside of the rocks and stuff. But it's really beautiful to kind of see and uh, and to walk through and look at and especially to record in three sixty, rendering out some of it, kind of looking around. It's really interesting and immersive to look around and see, wow, that's that's how that ripple was, that's where that log was, that's looking up back up to the waterfall. You can hear the the mist and, you know, the sound of the water coming down and crashing. It's really cool, but just Really immersive and really interesting um, going up to all those places and trying to trying to record some stuff. It was cool. Yeah, great time of year for waterfalls. Yeah, it was Pacific really beautiful. Northwest. So, yeah, if you're in the Portland area or I'm sure anywhere in the northwest you've heard of waterfalls before, you should check one out sometime this month. I'm sure it would be a, a good time for you. But uh, we had a good time hiking up into the, uh, the McKenzie River wilderness area. I bet you guys would too. You can see more of my work at billynewmanphoto.com. You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon. I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. really trying to do a lot of scouting stuff which i've enjoyed too doing some scouting stuff through the summertime has been pretty cool uh where i'm really trying to go through some of these back roads i'm trying to like uh mark spots on the map where there's good campsites uh which i hadn't really done before you know there's a lot of places i've driven a lot of uh, a lot of roads i've been on and uh uh, especially you know like backcountry roads two forest service roads blm roads and I know a lot of good dispersed camping areas. And really, I understand the context of how to find those areas so much better now that I'm older than when I was young. I mean, when I was young and I'd go camping with my dad, you know, we'd go out to Eastern Oregon, we'd find some spots. And they had known about those spots since, you know, he was a kid and he was going over there in hunting camps and stuff with his grandpa. Um, so it's cool for me to get to go over to those same spots and get to check out that area and stuff. But I think there's been, uh, or at least when I was a kid, I didn't really understand the the land Uh, Like the public land rights that you have and and really how those are organized, like how public lands are organized and what you can do on them and and sort of how it operates. I didn't really understand the difference between um, national forest land and BLM land or national park land and state park land or wilderness areas national wildlife refuge areas man there's just so many different distinctions of of different things and then also just private property so i i didn't really have a a clear recollection of any of those things and really a lot of time when it's public land you can go on it but there's some things you can't do on it like either maybe hunt in some circumstances uh, like a like a national park or i think you can't discharge a firearm inside a national park but for specifically permitted events, maybe probably uh, national wildlife refuges, I think those hunting opportunities are are limited also. Though you can still do some things in, in those areas. I think you have to get permitted and uh, you have to draw a tag for that location, I think is what it is. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's kind of interesting sort of learning about that, learning how these things go. And and uh, also finally getting some maps that you can use that you can kind of trust better while you're in the backcountry. I think that's something that's really helped. Uh, me kind of understand where i can go and what i can do and i don't i mean i've had those map books you know like that that 50 page or 100 page book of oregon and you know every every page is a 25 mile map of that area it's always super useful how they kind of grid out everything and show you the you know the mile by mile marking and the, the topography of the area the different little roads and stuff but even those roads those map makers still got things wrong i remember too you know back in like was it 2004 I think we were out in an area in southern Oregon near the Nevada border was a Drew's Reservoir somewhere south of Gearhart Mountain and I remember we were on some some little some little road I don't even know if it was if it was a, a national forest area I think it was just is in, uh, in between private and public lands as it kind of uh, jumps back and forth in those uh, pretty remote areas all of it is just remote desert and forest and sagebrush and juniper um but some of it goes into like ranch land that's more managed and some of it cuts back into blm land as those, uh, as those little roads sort of meander through it uh but i remember being out there and, and noticing that the map on the page was just totally different than the map or than you know the real world ground truth of where the road went and i thought oh whoa, yeah you can't really trust the maps to show you the information that you want to see uh, when you need it other times too you know you'll see like a, oh hey like it shows there's a road right here good deal we'll take that road well you know it shows it it's on the map so you cut down there you get on the road and then it's washed out like crazy or it's super bumpy and like uh and just a terrible ride and, but it's the same green roads, the same label the same marking as the road next to it that was graded and uh and uh I don't know what, it's not paved right it's it's graded gravel they put more gravel down, I think is what I'm trying to say. They've, uh, they've made it an easier-going road to, to drive on. But then you get those washboard uh, sections out there. I don't know if you guys have been on that, where you're driving around in the Forest Service roads and those gravel roads. And I think it's a natural process of erosion that occurs that creates these waves in the material. You know, as I think as the rainwater comes down, um, it sort of naturally over time generates these uh, these little ripples and uh that's the washboard effect that you get when you're driving. That's also the thing that kind of uh kicks your car sideways when you're uh you're going a little too fast on a gravel road. That's what I started doing today. I think I kicked it pretty hard side before, you know, like uh it was it was pretty loose on the traction and it was starting to tip sideways in my truck and so I slowed down and threw it into four-wheel drive after that. Uh and I uh, was able to cruise around out here pretty freely. Um but yeah, I wanted to talk on this podcast about hanging out in the Fremont National Forest, and I just got finished uh, with a huge thunderstorm that came through. It just really finished uh, raining a little bit ago. Uh, it kind of, uh, I think, when I had arrived here today at this meadow, it was still a few hours before sunset. So I walked around and uh, kind of went along the perimeter of the meadow, and then uh, and then I noticed that you know, I mean, it's cloudy. Uh, it's it's been kind of cloudy today, and there's been thunderheads that have been uh, building up. Over the location that i 've been ever since I, I kind of came over the pass of the cascades i 've been in uh, like a a pretty solid string of uh, of thunderheads that have sort of coalesced into you know, a big mass over the cascades, some of it here over the the Fremont National Forest whatever mountains these are that i 'm in and uh, and yeah, it seems like this section of Eastern Oregon was getting hit with a good thunder a good summer august thunderstorm today, which was kind of fun to sit through and go through. It was cool to I got rained on pretty hard earlier when I was driving over, and I thought I'd, I'd get out here and be a little bit more free of it, but it, it seemed like that storm kind of drifted over this way, and then was sort of uh, drifting north from here, and uh, and yeah, it was a, a new system, but man, there was just a bunch of lightning that was coming through, and huge cracks of thunder, just big, deep rumbles. I haven't heard thunder like that in, in years and years, probably, You know, where it just kind of stays and like hangs and rolls for... Ten seconds, fifteen seconds. It seems like you know where you just really count like, whoa! Is, can it really still be just cracking and rumbling and rolling? And uh, and there was enough activity, enough lightning activity that was going on there where you you'd hear thunder. I mean, it was almost a, like forty-five minutes there where there was just a, a crack and a roll of thunder uh, almost continuously. Like it, it was, uh, it was pretty intense. It's 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 really I think one of the more strong lightning storms i've been in in a while but uh, but that's sort of how it goes out here when you're at these higher elevations i think i'm floating around up in the uh 5100 feet or so above sea level and so it just means i'm, I'm up in the mountains where these uh these thunderstorms get started you know they get their they get their i think that's where they they all kind of coalesce over these big mountain tops and then float over in the hot weather i don't really understand the weather enough To say I know how a thunderstorm starts or doesn't start now, I've just gotten cold enough. I'm trying to throw a jacket on. I know. You got to live through it. I'm really camping. It's been good. But I'm going to be out here for uh, two nights, I think, is what I'm going to do. And then tomorrow I'll I'll cruise out and uh, I'll try and hit some of these Forest Service roads for a bit, drive around, do some exploring, mark a couple spots on the map as I'm I'm cruising around. I think that'll be... uh, That'll be a good time. But, uh, but yeah, I haven't been out here before. I think I've heard of a couple of friends that have been out in this area that have done some, I think they did a couple scouting trips for a hunting trip that they were going on in the fall. I think this is an area where, where one of my friends goes, I think they try and draw a tag for not this area. I think it's a drainage over from here. But I think uh, I've heard about this area a couple of times from, uh, from people talking about it. Um, so, yeah, it's cool. It's a cool spot. I was out taking pictures earlier, taking some photographs. I've been working mostly uh, probably for almost a year and a half now. Um, I've been working a lot with this uh, uh, 17 to 40 millimeter wide-angle Canon lens. And it's a pretty inexpensive lens. I think you can get it for, like, 400 bucks, maybe a little less if you're lucky and you get it on a sale time. Sometimes in the fall as we're kind of ramping down toward... Um, for Thanksgiving, I think you can get some good deals on it, but that's yeah, it's sort of in the 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 four hundred dollar range. I think sometimes maybe it's more around five or something. But I picked it up a couple of years ago when I was starting to do um, some uh, real estate photography. Or well, I was working for Airbnb for a while, uh, where they had hired me as a photographer to go into these uh, Airbnb Plus listings. And uh, get a new set of photographs. That was interesting, kind of learning about how specific they wanted all of those uh, those photographs in this this really specific uh, art style and um, and you know format of it. And that was fine. It was interesting to do for a while, but uh, but what was cool is so I picked up that lens to to get in and, and do that work. Um, but really, after that, I've been appreciating how, how much I can do with that wide angle lens. And then you know, forty millimeters isn't way different than fifty millimeters. It's, it's certainly different uh, for the effects of portraits and stuff. But when I'm out here doing landscape stuff and I'm trying to uh, take pictures of uh, a lot of this stuff, just kind of sketch photos, too, where I'm sort of going around in midday. I'm taking some photos of some different things. I want some camp photos in my truck and my, my little cooler set up in the back here. Um, and uh, so all that's been good. In addition to that, the, uh, the astrophotography stuff that I can do with it is pretty cool because it drops down to the 17 millimeters. Uh, it's an autofocus lens it's a sealed lens it's uh it's pretty it's it's pretty good in most ways and i've really noticed over time that i'm not as uh as absolute of a mandate for me to be shooting at a really wide open uh, f-stop you know if i'm I'm shooting at a wide open aperture almost all my photos early on were at 1.8 or or 2.0 or 2.8 or something and uh i would Drew that really because I was trying to, I was really trying to get, because I didn't have very many lenses, I was really trying to get as much effect out of that bouquet, out of that soft background as I could. Um, So I was really trying to lean into that and get some photos with it. And I noticed with my camera and equipment at the time that it just, uh, it just looked better. It just did look better when it was at, you know, F1.8. I think I just had that nifty 50 Nikon uh, 50 millimeter for the longest time. That's what I did did my early trips on and uh, did a lot of my portfolio building stuff on that. But uh, but uh, I've got a different 50 millimeter lens with me now. I've got it on my film camera in my bag right now, which I, I need to take out too. And I'm trying to finish a roll of uh, Ektar film. It's been on there for a while. And I've enjoyed shooting it. It's cool. It's a, it's a new Canon camera to me, at least. I got it used on KEH and uh, spent, I don't know, 35 bucks on it. bucks to ship it and uh it takes a weird battery too it's one of those 90s film cameras and it has this weird it almost looks like a battery pack just it's like two it's almost like two double a's if they were a little fatter that are bonded together in this little plastic pack and then you pop that in there and uh, shoot for a little while, I guess, and it, it runs a meter okay so'm uh, i 'm getting by with it but uh, i 've noticed the film camera stuff it's it 's fun to have an awesome film camera it 'd be cool to have a leica and all the lenses I wanted, but uh, a lot of the time with that you know i have I have the good lenses i have this this new or uh, like Canon l glass that I get to shoot through and uh, for film photos and for the variety of of Im- or the variety of lenses i have you know i can I can do telephoto, i can do prime, I can do really wide angle all with the uh, modern digital Canon lenses that have you know chips in them that, that read well, that meter well, uh, that make contact with the, or that send information back and forth, or at least from the lens to the camera, I think. Is that how it works? That works in the autofocus stuff for the digital camera. This is, this is autofocus, so yeah, it's an autofocus digital camera. It's sending information back, it's working, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's uh, it's cool. Like, uh, that's something I didn't really have available to me for a long time. You know, I think when I've uh, probably on this podcast, if you go way back in the archives, I'm talking a lot about film with uh, a Nikon F4, you know I mean? That just had autofocus. I was the, the first camera at like 88 to, to get autofocus period. Um, so it's cool to have that in a more flexible way now. But uh, what i remember talking about in the past a lot was that I had like uh, limited options with glass a lot of the time. I didn't really always have the lenses that I would have preferred and so I've kind of made a collection of that now with this Canon stuff. I've got a Canon camera, and so I can throw all those lenses on and have that same flexibility that I have with my digital set, um, but just with this uh, this film body that I get to shoot a roll through. So I kind of save the film stuff for when it's a thing that I want. But uh, what I've noticed though for a little while is that uh, I miss a lot of those moments, and I end up just uh, having the the the, the normal, you know, the regular digital camera with me with uh, a bunch of my other gear. Um, when I've been going out, I've been trying to to kind of just take the camera with me and then I'll leave the bigger bag uh, back at the truck uh, so that I'm not really carrying as much stuff with me. I've also started carrying, um, like when I'm out here in the woods and stuff, I'm carrying a binocular harness with me, uh, which is kind of cool. You can get them in different sizes, but uh, it's sort of, if you imagine like a backpack, but uh, what they do is they strap onto the front so it's right on your chest. And uh, what you can do is is put like a, a pair of binoculars in there so you can pull them out and then... Scout around with your binoculars, do some glassing, and then pop them back into your uh, into your harness, and then kind of carry on with whatever you want to do. But if you leave that empty without the um, without the binoculars, if you have a smaller camera rig, probably like a mirrorless or a Sony camera, you know, like one of those Sony A six thousands. Man, if you were a backpacker and you had a Sony A six thousand and this uh, this front carry um, like binocular pack you'd be really sad that would be like all the camera bag that you'd need in fact really if i'm thinking about ever doing some uh, like uh, over you know some longer backpacking travel where i just have to pack everything in and weight's going to be uh, something i'm more conscious of then i think that's really like the way to go as i've kind of been thinking about it a little bit is like get uh, get a lighter camera or I mean, it'd be great to like carry like a 360 camera, you know, if you're going up somewhere. Those are, those are almost nothing as it is anyway. But uh, but if you're carrying like an SLR or something that you want to try and do some some more controlled photography with, and you had something like a an A6000 from Sony or an A7, seven R3 or whatever it is, um, something that size with a lens attached to it, you know, that could fit in one of these binocular harnesses and, and carry kind of right on your front. And then oh, you see something, you want to take it. Pop that open right on your chest. Pull it right up to your eye. It's got straps on it in the harness. Pull it right up to your eye. It's ready to shoot. And you can uh, take photos of it or take photos, you know, as quick as you want to. So uh, it's kind of a a cool process if you're out hiking a lot. For what I'm doing, I have my binocular harness, but it's got binoculars in it. And uh, I've been kind of going around. I've been trying to do some bird watching stuff while I'm out here. And uh, I saw a cool hawk that was posted up who was looking at me. That's about all I've seen so far. I saw a coyote the other day. That was cool. I'll talk about that later, though. But uh, um, but so I have those binoculars in there, and I've I've been kind of going out on these uh, these shorter hikes and stuff. But I've been trying to uh, go around and uh, like just kind of watch some stuff or watch the land and, and kind of keep an eye out. But uh, I just have the camera on my longer strap on my side uh, with that. Uh, 17 to 40 millimeter lens and that's worked really good and it's been a, a pretty flexible kit for me to to go around and take a bunch of photographs with so it's pretty easy pretty lightweight to work with and I can uh, kind of move back and forth uh, between those things strapped around my neck you know it's not everything just hanging around my neck with a lanyard it's all kind of uh, put somewhere or packed in somewhere so that has been kind of cool uh, but it was good going out and taking some photos tonight I was uh, trying to get some of the I didn't. I didn't get any lightning in the camera. The the lightning storm kind of passed as soon as it was getting really dark enough to uh, to do like a long exposure kind of thing where I could I could sort of catch something uh, something sparking. Otherwise, you know, you gotta you gotta beat the lightning bolt with your shutter finger, and that's a pretty tricky task to do. I think that's how they do it. You know, when you get those uh, you get those like magazine photos back in the day of uh, uh, a powerful lightning bolt striking. I don't know, in the center of a road or something like that. That's so what they'd show, you know, some kind of uh, power or lightning bolt. But uh, the way that they would do that stuff is, I think I think it was like a, I think it was dark out, you know, or pretty dark out. And so they'd set the camera up for uh, just a cycle of long exposures. And then they would just kind of let it ride, you know. So they'd have uh, a couple seconds to expose the image to whatever, you know, would work. And then they would just kind of have that rolling so that when when a bolt of lightning did strike, and it would be captured and you could go through that collection of captured or you know how do I say that when a lightning bolt would strike the ground the camera would have already been exposing for a photograph because it's just cycling the shutter on a four second exposure let's say something like that Um, and so you know it takes a four second exposure stops processes for a second, takes a four-second exposure, stops, processes for a second. So I think that's how they did some of that stuff where they uh, they kind of anticipate, all right, it's been a couple of minutes, let's uh, take a frame now, and then it's just going to be an event in the future, so we don't know if it's going to happen or not. We're going to wait for this event in the future when we, boom, see a lightning bolt, and then that light then exposes the sensor or the film and the camera, and then you're left with an image that has that lightning bolt represented in the frame when you're shooting on a tripod or something like that with uh with a, like a short cycle long exposure and uh i thought that was uh, pretty cool but uh, i didn't really get a chance to to get all that stuff set up before the uh the storm kind of passed me by i did get a lot of cool handheld stuff that was uh, that's great of the the thunderheads and stuff, and really, unfortunately, just in the, the location that I'm at, a lot of the, and I guess maybe for the better, but uh, that lightning storm didn't pass right over my head. It was uh, still a little ways away, so I could see the lightning bolts cracking through the trees, kind of out in the distance more. A few that that stretched across the sky pretty good, too. It was just, you know, a big old, uh, you know, from, from east to west, it, it was like, you know, a big old chunk of uh, a bolt that just crack all the way across the sky. It was cool. Um, so I got some photos of the Thunderheads, the sunset, the uh, the big field out here. It's cool. It's a nice area. Um, but I was also thinking about uh, some of the other stuff that I want to be doing tomorrow. So I'm out in the the Fremont National Forest. I'm going to be heading, I think, maybe south from here, and I'm going to try and explore a couple areas that are still open, uh, or you know, I guess it's all open publicly. And this is like one of, uh, or a pretty large contiguous section of uh of national forest land here and, and really like that's a big part of oregon overall right it's like 53 percent public lands it's cool yeah if you look at a map you'll see the cities and you'll see like the highways and stuff but uh, if you have the right map it'll show you where the blm land is and where the the different national forests are and it's cool this whole area of the northwest is is uh is just there's a lot of public land that you get to use and uh, there's a lot of uh, open area that you get to go to. And, um, and yeah, now that I've got uh, a, a good map of the outdoor off-road uh, roads and some of the terrain and stuff with uh, some good notes, and I'm able to kind of move around and, and uh, get out to a lot more places than I had before. So it's been cool. The app that I'm using is the OnX off-road app. It's, uh, I think, 29.99 a year. And uh, so i Pitched that out, picked up this app, and then you can download offline these uh, these really detailed off-road maps that are supposed to show you all the trails, you know, even just walking trails, all the roads, all of the um, like the pieces of information you'd need for kind of moving around in the backcountry. And and really, as surprising as it is, as remote as a lot of these places are, uh, people go here. You know, it's it's also public land that's managed by the um, the Forest Department, Forest Forest Service. Yeah, I think a lot of the stuff's managed by the Forest Service, the BLM stuff's managed by the BLM, but that's why these roads are as good as they are or maintained, or that's why, like, when trees are downed on these mountain roads, you know, someone has to go through at the beginning of the year and cut all those out, rip them out, fill in the potholes, all that sort of stuff. So all these areas are um, are known about and, you know, kind of um, managed in a, in a pretty significant way. In fact, I think uh, um, more so to come in the future, I think they just have announced yesterday or the day before, that they've passed the Great American Outdoors Act, which I really don't know the first thing about or um, or what it does or doesn't do or what it puts in or leaves out. But uh, I think part of my understanding is that it's supposed to change some of the funding mechanisms that go into supporting the the maintenance of these public lands that are out here uh, across the country, but really significantly out here in the Western states. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I think uh, before that, it was like, well, we should spend uh you know x amount of money but there's a more important place for that money to go so it wasn't like a guaranteed amount it's sort of what i understand so if i understand it correctly there's like um i think they've said three billion dollars a year of mandated funding for projects i think here in the backcountry blm land forest service land and the like national wildlife refuges and stuff, so uh, pretty cool. But yeah, I think that's gonna. Well, maybe we'll see a change in that. I think it's supposed to better fund the operations of, of BLM and Forest Service people as they're going through and uh, and trying to get these areas ready for uh, for the public to be using more regularly. So it's cool. I think it uh, it'll mean a lot uh, over the next uh, few years. Or we'll, maybe we'll see how it how it kind of transforms some um, some of the way that uh, these uh, these areas are managed. I think maybe it's it's more for Well, you know, I probably shouldn't even speculate. I'm not sure at all. But it's pretty cool. I'm excited about uh, being out here and doing some camping and stuff, dealing with this uh, thunderstorm. I think it's one of those things where by the morning, you know, it's going to be, or at least, uh, well, I was looking at the weather. It should be mostly cloudy or partly cloudy, mostly sunny tomorrow for a while. So I think that's pretty cool. I'm excited to be hanging out, doing some camping stuff. Doing some podcasting. I'm in the back of my truck right now. Like I was saying, it was uh raining earlier after those thunderstorms, so I got that canopy on my truck and I'm nice and dry, nice and warm. Uh it kind of feels like I'm uh, I'm just inside somewhere. So it's uh it's a cool, cool rig having the four wheel drive, having the canopy on the back, having your, your stuff and your sleeping area just kinda set up back there and I'm ready to go. So I've been having a good time being out here and uh I don't know, it's been uh pretty good. Pretty good trip so far, so I appreciate you guys checking out this uh, podcast from me. I'm gonna do a couple more podcasts while I'm out here on this camping trip, and I'll uh, I'll try and try and set up a, a little backlog of them on my website. I think it'll be a a good idea. No, I know I kind of take big breaks and stuff from it. I'm sure no one uh, no one keeps listening when it when it is there. But hey, if you listen to this end of the podcast, shoot me an email. Mm-hmm. Time for the plugs. It's uh, Billy newmanphoto.com if you want to check out my website, see some of my photographs, check out uh, more podcasts that I've done or books that I've uh, tried to put together, which is uh, maybe what I'm going to try and do out here too. I'm going to try and get some photographs for another good book. You can check out more information at billynewmanphoto.com. You can go to billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support if you want to Help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way through the portal at billynewmanphotocom forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it. If you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash photo. So I wanted to talk about the training stuff that I've been doing. I think I would mentioned I had done a good bit of work with, uh, you know, other programs in the past, but this is really the first time that I've gotten into, uh, spending time learning specifically about some of the, the, the features and the controls in logic pro, uh, and now logic pro 10.5. Um, so what I had done is uh, gone to now what's called LinkedIn learning, LinkedInlearning.com, Huh? Um, there, there used to be a website called lynda.com, and lynda.com was these, uh, these screencast uh, video tutorials of how to use different types of software and, and how, how to be trained, you know, just training for, for different types of um, uh, most of the time computer related skills. Uh, so I've used that service for um, a number of things over the years, uh, specifically, I think Chris Orwig's Lightroom tutorial. It's probably like a standard for a lot of photographers that have been interested in uh in learning about photography, editing. And so all of those courses that have existed over the years uh have a lot of a lot of good information in them. Um but so I went back to uh to what would be lynda.com now as it has been purchased by LinkedIn uh through Microsoft. It's now called uh LinkedIn Learning. Right on, huh? Uh, so LinkedIn learning has all of the old Linda videos, including all of the updates to the videos that they're still continuing to produce. Uh, so I went on and I I tried to find some training videos about logic pro 10. Uh, there's a number of videos, uh, for like essential training for logic pro 10, but there's nothing because now this new update logic pro 10.5 is really only maybe two weeks old or something. Uh, it's, uh, there's no, there's just no new video training established for it. So I think for Logic Pro 10.4, there's a full essential training video that was produced by, uh, what was it Scott Hirsch, a music producer out of New York, and uh, he just kind of goes through uh, the the controls and the the system and stuff, and you get you get a good feel of uh, like how to how to make changes, how to use different features, how to use the mixer versus uh, like the linear tracking system, you know how to use different controls and stuff. A lot of the stuff is is similar if you've used GarageBand, like I was mentioning, or another digital audio workstation that does multi-tracking in the past. Uh, but it was cool, yeah. Learning like some techniques about how to apply uh, different different compress or how to make the settings of a compressor do more specifically the types of things that I'm wanting to do in a mix. Uh, I think was some good information for me to be learning about through. The, the Logic Pro, uh, training stuff. Also, in addition to that, if you don't, the, so LinkedIn learning is a paid service. You can get a, a one month free trial of that too, which, uh, I'm taking advantage of at this moment to get, uh, to get some new information in. But what you can do is go to YouTube and look up similar, uh, similar training videos. And there's a lot of people, a lot of music producers out there that have done their own screencasts of, kind of walking through different services uh, or different techniques that these digital audio workstations provide. So I was, I was looking at a guy, uh, guy's website, I think it was whylogicprorules.com, and that had a lot of good training videos on it, too. Uh, he had a lot of information about how different pieces of it work and uh, just how to, how to make use of a lot of the techniques that you'd have to apply in a certain piece of the software to make it more effective. And I thought that was really cool. I, I really appreciated some of the stuff that he'd done. And... Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hope you guys check out some stuff on BillyNewmanPhoto.com. A few new things up there, some stuff on the homepage, some good links to other other outbound sources, some, some links to books, some links to some podcasts, links to some blog posts, all pretty cool. But yeah, check it out at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.